Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Love the story. It is so great to see all of you at Abundant Life and all the different places. We all can be in the same space at the same time. I'm so thankful to have so many of you right now worshiping, though we're live from the crossroads. Uh, you're here even though you're not here. And where I am today is a former 1940s plumbing warehouse, now an Abundant Life church house. We're in the book of First Thessalonians. And it's so great to preach right here today from downtown Kansas City. We're in the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Why are we studying this ancient letter from the Apostle Paul to this ancient church of the first century? What we've learned is they were, in fact, a church of irresistible influence. We should aspire to be Christians of irresistible influence, church of a irresistible influence. We have learned that this church had a reputation. They had influence far beyond the region. Other people were talking. We saw week one, chapter one. The reason why is they had this irresistible faith, hope, and love. We saw in week two, they had this irresistible authenticity and integrity of just true, authentic Christianity. We've seen how, in fact, last week, they had this irresistible life change story that they were lives that have been changed by Christ, that Jesus had redeemed them from pagan idolatry to pursue and live for a God who is holy. It might be just maybe worth reminding us all during this Pride Month, just remember this, just think about this for a moment. Jesus did not come to affirm our sin and celebrate our lifestyles. He, in fact, came to save us from our sin and change our lifestyles. That's why Jesus came, not to leave us the way we are, but to change us to become more like him. And you better believe the Thessalonians had become like him, increasingly following the true and living God. Now today I want to talk about this. They had this irresistible church because they were led by irresistible leadership. The Thessalonians were a church of irresistible influence because they were a church of irresistible leadership. And Bart, I think, personifies this. His story really talks about this. I don't know if you heard everything in that video. There was so much he said that was so, so good. One of the things he said was this, godly leadership is being an example of what it looks like. Yes, it's about being an example. A lot of people think, well, I'm not a leader. I have no title. I have no position. But I want you to think differently. When you think about yourself, when you see yourself, we're all called to be somebody's leader, every single one of us. See, we're all called to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, go and make disciples. If you're a disciple making disciples, you're in fact somebody's spiritual leader. Everybody is somebody's leader. So today, take this message and apply it to every area of your life because every area of our life demands leadership. Uh, Whether you're a father raising up sons and daughters, uh, whether you're a single mother of a a toddler, or perhaps a, a coworker, a manager, or maybe just a neighbor, listen, we're all called in some way to be a leader. And you think, well, leadership is about a title. I mean, I have no position. Listen, leadership is never about titles. It's never about position. It's about influence. How are you going to gain influence in the life of your children to follow you when they don't have to? Because right now they're a toddler. Someday they're going to be teens. 
And let me tell you something, by the time they're teens and not toddlers, if they follow you, they follow you because they want to, not because they have to. What are they going to see in you? See, we're talking about an example that others want to follow. This is what the Apostle Peter would say. What we're going to learn today from the Apostle Paul, Peter would write about this in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, speaking to other shepherds and early church leaders, he would say this, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, not lording over the flock, but being examples to the flock. See, leadership is not about lordship. It's not about position. It's not a dictatorship. See, leadership is about an example for other people to follow. And that's what we see in the early church and early Christianity. These early followers of Jesus in Thessalonica, they were following this kind of leader that had been an example to them. So today I want to talk about four things of irresistible leadership that we should all aspire to possess in our life, in our ministry, our family, in our leadership. We're going to see it today, beginning in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. If y'all are ready for this, say irresistible. Here we go. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter, when we could no longer endure it, endure what? He could not endure not knowing how the Thessalonians were doing. Like it's about to drive him crazy. He's almost like obsessing over the Thessalonians. So about a year earlier, he had been in Thessalonica in the north part of Greece. Uh, 52 AD, by this time, just 20 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven, the early church was in fact fulfilling the Acts 1-8 mandate. You remember what Jesus said? You shall be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so just 20 years later, the apostle Paul and these early Christian missionaries, they were in fact taking the gospel to what was them, uh, the ends of the earth. I mean, it's now in Europe for the first time. We're talking hundreds of miles away from the epicenter, which was in Jerusalem. And so about 51 AD, he was in Thessalonica and Acts 17 tells us he was only there for four weeks or three Sabbaths. But in that short time, God moved and there was this little band of followers of Jesus that emerged. Now it was so hot and hostile toward the gospel. His followers said, Paul, you got to get out of here. We love you, but you need to leave. Yes, we know you're willing to die for the faith, but we need you alive. We don't want you to die. And so they literally said, we got it from here. We love you, hope to see you again someday, but we got it from here. Now it's about a year later. Paul's writing from Athens on the south side of Greece, 300 miles away. And it's like he cannot stand not knowing how they're doing. These are the days before instant messaging and texting and Zoom calls. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they literally carried a letter by foot hundreds of miles. You talk about snail mail. I mean, they had not had any contact with Paul. Paul had had no contact with them. And he can't stand not knowing how they're doing. And so he's writing this letter, says, Therefore, when we could no longer not, we just couldn't stand not knowing how you were doing. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. We see the first of four things about irresistible leadership right here. Number one is this, leaders empower others. Leaders empower others. What you see here is Paul, the older man, empowering Timothy, the younger man, to do the work of the ministry. Uh, what you see is Paul with the apostle title. You talk about a title that carried authority. You got Paul the apostle. Check this out. Timothy's just a guy. He's got no title. Uh, he's not an apostle. 
Timothy is being mentored by Paul. Paul is discipling Timothy. Timothy is the apprentice. But I want you to notice something. Paul empowers Timothy to go back instead of him to the Thessalonians and do the work of the ministry. I want you to notice Paul was not conscious of his title. He was not conscious of his position. Imagine had Paul said, hey guys, I cannot stand not knowing how the Thessalonians are doing. I have to go back there. Timothy says, Paul, I can go for you. No, I have to be the one. I'm the guy. I'm the apostle, not you, me. Imagine for a moment, had Paul decided he had to be the one to minister to everybody, where would Christianity have gone? It was about to come to a stop. Had Paul not understood that Christianity is one generation away at all times from complete extinction. See, Paul was already in a succession plan. Timothy would go on to be the second generation leader, the senior leader of the early church. In that generation after the apostles, Timothy would become a pillar of the church, one of the senior leaders of the church. And what you have here, years and years before, Paul would come to the finish line of his ministry at the hands of a Roman executioner. You already have Paul in a succession plan. He knows that one day he won't be there, and he's already raising up another leader in his stead. He empowered Timothy, and I want you to notice something. What does he say about him? He says, Timothy, a fellow laborer, a minister of God, and a brother. He puts Timothy on his same level. He affirms him as a fellow laborer, a brother. Listen, he's not the JV, all right? He's not the B team. He's on the A-team. You see, Paul understood that a multiplying movement demands multiplying leaders. And do you understand that when Jesus envisioned the church, he did not envision a Sunday event. Jesus envisioned a movement. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, the first time you ever see the word church in your Bible, it's the Greek word ekklesia. He said these words in Matthew 16, that upon this rock, speaking of himself, he would build his ecclesia, his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail. The implication is we, the church, are assaulting the gates of hell. That demands motion. That demands movement. But you understand there is no movement without motion. There's no motion without multiplication. He was envisioning a multiplying movement, and that's what the early church was. It didn't just stay in Jerusalem. It spread out to Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And everywhere Paul went, he was multiplying the church. He was multiplying the body of Christ, the ecclesia on the earth. Now, somewhere along the way in North America, the movement quit moving. And I would suggest the reason the movement quit moving is we forgot the paradigm of Great Commission thinking. Somewhere along the way, it became all about one location, this location, one building, this building, and one auditorium, this auditorium. You see, that means addition. It doesn't mean multiplication. And that is still the movement of God around the world. The move of God, known as the church, must be a multiplying movement. That's why today we're not all worshiping in the same space, even though we're all in the same place through modern technology. We have multiplied from Lee Summit to the crossroads of Kansas City to Pleasant Hill, Missouri, a little church house. And I'm telling you, historically, the church has celebrated the wrong things. Historically, the church celebrates its seating capacity. We need to celebrate our sending capacity. 
whether it's a 2,200-seat auditorium in Lee Summit, Missouri, or 50 seats in the basement of Stormy and Bart Cox's house, it doesn't matter as long as the movement is multiplying. And Paul understood this. If we're going to reach the world, it's about a movement that demands multiplying not just people in spaces, but leaders who will go to different places. And I want you to understand that's what we do, and that's what Bart's doing. Bart articulated this so well. He said this, for we, we need to lead and then create space for other people to lead. There are thousands of people who want to lead and be shepherds, but unless we step out of the way and make room, they won't have the same opportunity. I'm telling you, Abundant Life, what we're trying to do is something the North American church has failed to do. Where historically the North American church, everybody is facing forward, and it's all about the platform. It's all about the professionals. And everybody else just sit there and listen. No, we're trying to decentralize the church. The early church was decentralized. What does that mean? It means Paul would plant a band of believers. He would plant a church, and then check this out. Leaders would lead. Paul didn't have to be the guy everywhere. And we've made this thing way too complex. See, the, the modern paradigm of thinking is, well, if I want to be a spiritual leader and, and I really want to answer the call of God to advance the gospel, well, I got to go to Bible college and I got to go to seminary and, you know, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to get the credentials first. And I'm trying to tell you, we've made way too complex what ought to be the simple. In the same way Paul called Timothy a minister of God, every person here is called to be a minister of God. Check this out. As a child of God, you have the Spirit of God, and you have the Word of God to advance the name of God and the kingdom of God right where you are. And it's time for guys like me, let's just say the paid professionals, and I say that very loosely, because understand, for me, preaching is not a profession. It's a calling. This is not my career. It's a calling. A lot of people look at the platform and go, oh, the paid, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are in this together. You have the same spirit of God and the same word of God I have. Be empowered. We're trying to empower people in the pews like Bart Cox to do the work of the ministry. And just like Bart said, there are thousands and thousands of people who want to lead. They've just never been told they can lead or empowered to lead. And not only are there thousands of people who want to lead, we need thousands of people to lead whether it's in the Abundant Life Kids Ministry on Sunday mornings or the Fusion Student Ministry on Wednesday nights, uh, whether it's a church house in Quebec, Canada, or Pleasant Hill, Missouri. Hey, what's the difference between an Abundant Life church house and an Abundant Life group, small group? We have like 240 small groups within this larger body. That's where the small church happens. Can I tell you the difference between an Abundant Life church house, maybe hundreds of miles away, and a small group of Abundant Life that's meeting right here in this city, the answer is absolutely nothing, except where you worship on Sunday morning. That's it. See, historically, when we think about, well, small group ministry, we need community. As a small group leader, people see themselves kind of as, okay, so I'm the guy that organizes, who's going to bring the side, honey, tell me, you need to get on your text, get on the phone, see who's bringing the dessert this week. Someone's, okay, you bring the nachos. That's about as far as a lot of small group leaders see themselves. Hey, we're going to go out this week and watch the Chiefs game at my house. 
on the large screen. I'm not, no, wait a minute. If you're an Abundant Life small group leader, you are a shepherd of people. You're a pastor of people. You don't need the title. See, this is what they were doing in the early days of Christianity. They were shepherding each other. It amazes me to think Paul was only in Thessalonica four whole weeks, enough time to disciple these little band of followers, and then they were completely on their own. Wait a minute. They haven't been to seminary. They don't have a PhD in divinity. Wait a minute. They don't have a master's in theology. Can we do this? Yes, we can do this. Bart, you're doing this. You're a shepherd of people. If you're discipling someone, a small group leader, you're a shepherd of people. That's how we need to see ourselves in the body of Christ. It's not just about the platform. It is time to empower you, the people in the pews. Because ministry happens off the platform, not on the platform. Paul developed and deployed Timothy to minister through him, not merely to him. See, leaders don't simply minister to people, they minister through people. Leaders minister to leaders who are leading other leaders who are leading people. At this very moment, I am ministering to 50 people in Pleasant Hill, Missouri through Bart Cox. Bart, I trust you implicitly to shepherd that little flock well that is among you. If you're one of the 240 small group leaders of Abundant Life, listen, I want to minister through you to those people in your small group, not just ministering to you. This is what Paul was doing. He developed Timothy. He deployed Timothy. Now he's ministering through Timothy to people that he cannot personally see, to people he cannot personally touch. And that's always the model of leadership, to minister through, not merely minister to. Now, somebody thinks, well, Phil, listen, one way, I, I want to be a minister. I want to fulfill my calling. I, I, I want to, you know, do my part for the gospel, but I need to be developed more. Like, I, I want to be developed, and when I feel like I'm ready and fully developed, then I'll be ready to be deployed. Listen carefully now. Your development is in your deployment, and it's in your deployment that God is working your development. So you don't get developed till you get out of the pews and get on the field. Start working in the ministry. Start leading somewhere in the ministry. What you will discover is you're being developed as you're being deployed. Check this out. I have never a day in my life had even one homiletics course. You know what homiletics is? That's a $10,000 word that you pay a lot for so you can have a class at a seminary to learn to preach. It's a preaching class. Take homiletics, you learn how to preach. I have never had a homiletics course in my life. You know how I learned to preach? It was in my deployment. That was my development. 23 years ago, this little church just asked me, will you preach? We need somebody to fill in one Sunday. I said, yes. Then they asked me to fill in again the next Sunday. I said, yes. Then they asked me to fill in again the next Sunday. I said, yes. Little did I know, I was learning to preach by preaching. My development was in my deployment. I just kept saying yes. It was scary. It was risky. No, I did not feel ready. But I just kept saying yes. 23 years later, here I am. Without a homiletics course, can we do that? I did. 
Now, I don't mean don't go to seminary. If God calls you to seminary, get a formal education. Nothing wrong with any of that. But we have used the wrong things to qualify people for the ministry too long. It is not about your head. It's about your heart. God wants to develop your heart. And it's not just your head. And he's developing Timothy's heart to one day be the leader. Now, we go on. Leaders love others. You can't love what you do not. You can't lead what you do not love. You cannot lead people you do not love. You can be their boss. You can be their manager. You can be their little dictator, but you can't be their leader if you don't love them. And I hate to use the cliches, and there's lots and lots of cliches. I personally don't like cliches. I try to avoid cliches. I'm going to use one today, okay? Here we go. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. There it is. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Do the people in your life that you're leading know how desperately, passionately you love them? So you want to gain influence to lead. It's not about a title. It's about influence. The way you gain influence is the people you lead know that you would die for them. The people in Thessalonica knew Paul would die for them. In fact, he was prepared to die for them. Had they not ushered him out of town, he would have died for them. That's how dangerous it was for Paul in Thessalonica. They were following him, not simply because of what he said, because of what he did. Now check this out. Paul was more concerned with how they were doing than what they were doing. See, Paul didn't send Timothy back to Thessalonica and say, hey, Timothy, hey, go back to Thessalonica. Let's check up on them. Let's see what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing. We haven't heard from them for a year. Who knows what they're doing now? No, no. Paul did not send Timothy back there to check up on what they were doing, but to check up on how they were doing. He was genuinely concerned with how they were doing. He was worried sick over them. If you read this letter, he's almost obsessing over them like a father does for his, his children. Like you just want your children to succeed so bad. And man, you just can't stand not thinking about you know, they, they, He is so obsessed with how they're doing. He can't stand it any longer, he said. That's when we decided we're going to stay in Athens. Timothy, you go back to Thessalonica. You, you check on the folks. See how they're doing. I want you to see, verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to check up on what they were doing. Oh, some of you looked up now. Here we go. What Bible is he reading from? No, he says, look, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Do you see the heart of Paul here? He was so concerned for how they were, not simply what they were doing, but, but how they were doing. He says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. They were under intense persecution because they'd abandoned paganism to follow the true and living God as a Christian. And it was hostile. It was bloody. It was ugly. Paul was so concerned for them. He says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Once you see, Paul was willing to suffer with them and sacrifice for them. Why are these early Christians willing to suffer in the face of such bloody opposition? Because they saw their leader. Willing to suffer for them. See, Paul was in the trenches with them. He wasn't trying to minister to them from some faraway place in some safe house. 
No, he would have already been dead had it not been his followers that said, you need to get out of town. Paul, we know you're willing to die, but you're better off alive. We need you alive, right? And the very fact that they're now suffering for Jesus is because they first saw their leader being willing to suffer for Jesus. They literally saw the scars on the body of the Apostle Paul. Those scars were having been beaten for Christ, tortured for Christ. He showed up to town from Philippi, bloodied and black and blue. And you better believe they were influenced not by what Paul said as much as what Paul did. He suffered with them, sacrificed for them. Think about why do we follow Jesus today as our ultimately Our supreme leader is the resurrected Son of God. Now why, after 2,000 years, do we continue to worship and follow Jesus? It's not merely because of what he said. It's because what he did, he bled. That's why we follow him. And that's why we follow anyone in the end. Not merely because of what they say, but by what we see in them. There's a principle of leadership, and it's this. People will not follow where you're going and they want to, unless they want to follow who you are. The principle of leadership, whether you're a father, mother, co-worker, manager, pastor, title or no title, how do you gain the influence? The people want to follow where you're going. They don't buy into your vision. They don't buy into your mission until they buy into your person. Paul was a person that these Thessalonians had bought into because they saw him suffer for Jesus and he was willing to suffer for them. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer. Notice he's using we, not y'all, y'all. He's using we. See, he's in it with them. He's in the trenches. Uh, That we would suffer tribulation just as it happened And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul was so concerned that because of the persecution, the tempter, Satan, had tempted them to give up, tempted them to give in. They'd abandoned their faith as a Christian. Maybe they've gone back to paganism. He was so concerned that they would not continue after he was gone. The tempter would tempt them to give up and give in. People ask sometimes, and especially when I come maybe to the crossroads and paradigm, some of the younger men and women of our church will sometimes ask, question I get all the time, Pastor Phil, after like 23 years of ministry, what is the secret to longevity? Now really what I hear when people say that is, Phil, now that you're old, (laughs) tell me the secret. I mean, that's what I hear, just so you know. You say one thing, I hear another thing. Okay, now that you're old, what is the secret to longevity? Like, I don't want to just be a flash in the pan. And there's a lot of people, guys, I've seen in 23 years come and go. They get all hot for Jesus for a minute. Man, they're on fire. They got passion. Doesn't last. What is the key to longevity? Because the tempter comes to tempt us all. In the face of opposition, the tempter tempts us to give up, give in. The trials of life, the tribulations of life. Listen, if Satan cannot destroy you, he will distract you. And in your distraction, he's working your destruction. Whatever it takes to stop you, you're a threat to the enemy. While you're still moving spiritually, he wants to take you into captivity, make you his prisoner, because he now, 
no longer sees you as a threat. You're no longer a danger to his kingdom. He wants to stop you. That's the tempter that's in view here. Here's the, here's the secret. You want to answer your calling. Your calling demands a cross. And unless you are taking up your cross, you will not fulfill your calling. We all have a calling on our life. The calling on all of our lives, whether you ever have a title or you don't, the calling on the life of every single Christian is to advance his name, his fame, his kingdom. You know what Jesus said is going to require? It's going to require a cross, Luke 9, 23. Take up your cross daily. The apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. Now here's what happens when you die and you give up your life, and you give Jesus all rights, you can't be stopped. Because no matter how many times you get knocked down, you get back up again. You know why? Because you've given up rights to your life. You've died. It's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. You see, it's the cross when you embrace your own crucifixion, your co-crucifixion. Now you are living in the power of the resurrection, and it's not you, but now it's Christ in you. So when you get knocked down, Jesus gets you back up again. When you have to take a step back, and life is full of disappointments and setbacks, listen, you keep going in the face of opposition. You know why? Because you've got a cross, and you've already died. Why was the Apostle Paul willing to one day die, and he would in Rome, just about 10 years after he writes this letter, he would kneel before a Roman executioner, he would in fact die. Can I tell you why he's willing to die? Because years and years before, he was already dead. And when you live with a cross, like you have died, no one can take anything from you, because you've already given it all away. And all of a sudden, that's power for living. And that's the secret to longevity. The cross is how you execute your calling. And what that means is simply this. If you're not bleeding, you're not really leading. Because you're not really loving. Love is sacrifice. It begins first with our sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ and then our sacrifice for others. It begins with God and then it begins with the people of God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, you want to be a shepherd? We are all called to be shepherds of people. He said this, the hireling flees when he sees the wolf coming, but the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And when you lay down your life for the sheep, no matter how large that flock, now you can't be stopped because you've already given everything away. No one can take it from you. And all of a sudden you realize, because you're willing to bleed, now you're ready to lead. And others are gonna follow you, not because of what you say, but rather what they see. Number three, leaders are submitted to others. Leaders are submitted to others. The number one thing that qualifies you for leadership is are you willing to follow? See, if you're not willing to be a follower, you're not qualified to be a leader. The number one qualifier is a heart of humility. If you don't have the heart of humility to be under authority, you don't have the, the heart of humility to be one in authority. What happens when a leader, and we've all seen this in our life in some place at some time, the church, where you work, I don't know where, don't know what, we've all seen this, a leader has a position of authority, he gets promoted beyond his maturity. He gets promoted beyond his heart of humility. So now he abuses his authority, he uses it irresponsibly, and he hurts a lot of people he was leading. 
So the question is not today, are you a great leader? The question is, are you a great follower? We can see this right here. Listen, you will never be an effective leader if you're not a faithful follower. This was Timothy. Timothy was being developed to become the senior leader. Not yet. And God is qualifying him to lead because he's willing to follow. Look at what it says in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were uh, comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Timothy has come back now and given this report of the Thessalonians. Paul, they're doing great. It's amazing how they're doing. Now just imagine for a moment a few months earlier, Paul has this conversation with Timothy. Paul, hey, Timothy, I need you to go back and check on the Thessalonians. Tell me how they're doing. And Timothy says, Paul, why do I have to go? That's, that's 300 miles away. Are you serious? Why can't you go? Now, I don't think that happened. I don't think that conversation happened. I don't know for sure. The text doesn't tell. I just have a feeling that though it was 300 miles away, it was going to take months to get there, months to get back. Wasn't exactly in the neighborhood for Timothy. I have a feeling Timothy was submitted to Paul's authority and said, yes, sir, I'm on my way. And because he was submitted to authority, this man would one day be one in authority because he had the heart of a leader, which is a heart of humility. See, true leaders are always team players. They have the humility to work in unity within a body. I've known people that thought they were a leader. And they thought they were a leader because, you know what, they're smarter than everybody else. Man, nobody gets it but me. And I just don't know. I just, I, no, no, listen, if you think you're smarter than everybody else and you're not teachable and you're not a learner, you're not a leader. And I've watched this happen, y'all. People minimize their influence because instead of working with unity within a body, they chose to go Rambo, go solo. I don't know. Does Rambo still work? Does anybody still know who Rambo is? Does Rambo work? Okay, Rambo. Like He's the one-man army. I mean, he's going solo. No, there's no Rambos for Jesus. God's work demands teamwork. You know, historically, the, the house church movement in America is a bunch of disgruntled church members that didn't get their way at church, so they took their ball and went home. That's not what Bart's doing. That's not our church house movement in America. Bart understands in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, with this little flock of 50 in his basement every Sunday, he's a part of something much larger than what he is. He's just one spoke in a larger wheel. Crossroads is one spoke in a larger wheel. Lee Summit is one spoke in a larger wheel. No, we're not the wheel. We're a spoke in the wheel. And the Apostle Paul would teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the church is a body. In the same way, you have a body. Many members, but one body. And you know what he says in 1 Corinthians 12? The hand can't say to the body, we have no need of you. We got this. We're going to do what we want to do. The foot can't say to the hand, we have no need of you. I'm paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 12. Check up on me, all right? Do your homework. I'm not making this up. 
He says that the church is like a body. If all were the hearing, where would be the smelling? If everybody was the smelling, where would be the seeing? But he says, no, we all have a different position to play. And only as we all play our position, do we all come together and do together what none of us could ever do apart. And for me, that is what is so exciting about being a part of the church, the body of Christ. It's larger than me. It's larger than any one person. Not one person here can fulfill their mission without others. But do you have the humility to work in unity as a body and not act like you're the body? No, you're just a part of the body. See, Timothy is proving he has the humility to be a leader because he has the humility to be a follower. Number four is this, leaders are thankful for others. This letter, as you read through it, is laced with gratitude of the Apostle Paul. It is laced with thanksgiving from the Apostle Paul when he thinks about these Thessalonian believers in this little band of followers in this ancient city of Thessalonica, over and over again, he tells them how thankful he is for them, for what thanks can be rendered to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And you see this phrase over and over again in this letter, that Jesus Christ is coming, and everything the Thessalonians were doing, it was all in view of the end, the destination, the day they would stand before Jesus, the day they would see him. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that we are going to see Jesus. We're going to see him. That's the destination. And everything we do today should be in view of the day that we stand in the presence of God. You know what I chose first and second Thessalonians to study this summer? Second Thessalonians especially is all about the second coming. The Thessalonians were expecting to see Jesus come in their lifetime. We have reason to believe that we could see Jesus come for his church in our lifetime. I'm telling you, the parallels are striking. And whether or not he comes in our lifetime, one day we're going to go to him. Either way, we're going to be in his presence. And it's going to be a locker room celebration like none other. It's going to be a locker room celebration. Now, I don't know if you ever played sports. I played a lot of sports back in the day. And I've been a locker room celebration, guys. It's euphoria. After a big game, after a big win. Now understand, this isn't the game. When you come to church on Sunday in this gathering, no, the game is out there. This is the locker room in here. You understand that, right? The game's not in here. This is the locker room. And I'm telling you, one day in heaven, when we stand in the presence of Jesus, it's going to be a locker room celebration like none other. And I have been in different kinds of locker room celebrations when I have been on the field and I contributed to that win and I suffered and bled and sacrificed for that big win and my uniform was streaked with blood and mud and sweat. I'm telling you, that locker room celebration is like none other. But I've also been in that locker room after a big win. When I sat on the bench and never got in the game, 
and my uniform was clean and pristine. Yes, I'm happy my team won, but it's a different kind of celebration. Bart was on the bench for a long, long time. Guess what? He got off the bench, and there's nothing like being in the game. Some of us here are on the bench. You come to the locker room, but you're not in the game. And one day we're going to stand in the presence of God, and it's going to be a locker room celebration like none other. And I want you to see what Bart said is true. Listen very carefully. Bart said, serving God through the church. We were designed to do that. When I wasn't doing that, I wasn't living my best life. Now that I'm serving him, I'm literally living my best life. All the joy that goes along with that, now I'm getting to live that life. That is the life we are all called to live. Our very best life is spent serving Jesus Christ. And Bart is so grateful, so thankful. It's what I love that God gave him this opportunity. And right now, I want to say how thankful I am for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of you that are in the game. You are leading at such a high level. You are leading people in the gospel ministry, making disciples, small group leaders, church house leaders, Abundant Life Kids leaders, student leaders, Fusion. I could go on and on about the places there are to lead. And right now, I just want to say thank you. And I wish I could personally say thank you to every person under the sound of my voice. I can't. So I want to minister through you since I can't personally minister to you. So at every church house, at every campus, in every space, in every place right here in Crossroads, if you're in the game and leading in some capacity, I want you to stand your feet right now. Would you do that with me? We're going to have a little locker room celebration before we leave right now. Stand your feet. And right now, if I could, I would personally come to every person, high five, big hug. I would, I would personally chest bump, maybe some of you, not all of you. Since I can't do that, I want you to go to somebody right now. They are standing up, and we're going to have a locker room celebration at this very moment. Every campus, every space, every place, go to them, high-five them, hug them up, tell them thank you for leading. To God be the glory. One day we will stand in the presence of the living God, and it is going to be a celebration like none other. Glory be to God. And today, if you're still on the bench, listen, all of that can change. All of that can change today. If you're in the bench, Jesus wants you on the field. He has no JV. Check this out. The Thessalonians did not get the JV team when Paul sent Timothy. Paul didn't send the B team. Jesus only has the A team. You've made the cut, but Jesus has made his move. Now it's time for you to make yours. And would you do this today like Paul did with the Thessalonians? Tell someone today how thankful you are for them. Are you thankful for Chad Glover? Chad, I am so deeply thankful. I am so deeply thankful for Troy and Amy Price up in Cedar Falls, Iowa. I am so deeply thankful for... Stephen Branch out there in Independence. I am so thankful for the people right now rocking those little toddlers so we can be here. I'm so grateful. Jesus, I pray that you'd raise up many, many others, leaders, 
for this great kingdom cause we have our best life that will one day give way to a yet better life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.